Well, apparently Barry Morphew and his daughters had faith that their wife and mom would walk back into their lives again. Do you think that was really going to happen? A bad guy has been arrested in the 30 under 30 tech homicide. Wait until you hear what else he's been accused of doing. Old Sam Bankman-Fried's trial is set to start soon. Or will it? A mom wants her son locked up and the police won't do it. Do juries really understand forensic science? It has sent a lot of people to prison. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day, more food violence. When will it stop? Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for watching. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below and hit that little bell. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. So lately, I've been trying to cut back on my energy drink intake. And because I've been feeling like they've been making me a little more difficult to fall asleep at night. And if you've been a fan for a while, you know I also don't drink coffee. So I've been trying these little these little magic bottles of Magic Mind. So if you're like me and you don't like the crashes and the jitters that come from coffee and energy drinks, then you have to try out my new favorite caffeine hack, Magic Mind. I love that they are small and easy to transport. I usually drink them on the way to work in the morning and by the time I'm at my desk, I'm ready to take on whatever craziness comes my way. I'm looking into stocking the fridge here with Magic Mind so that my whole team can feel the benefits. And here's the exciting part. They've given me a fantastic discount code. All you have to do is go to magicmind.co backslash crime talk and use the code CT40 for 40% off your first subscription. Or if you aren't into that, you can get 20% off your first purchase. But wait, let me break it down for you. With the subscription, you are getting a total of 40% off, which comes to around just $3 per bottle. That's a steal. I'll leave the link in the show's note. And the best part of it is that they have a money back guarantee because you know it's always about the money. So why wait? Head over to www.magicmind.co backslash crime talk and use the code CT40 to supercharge your day with Magic Mind, the discount code CT40. All right, let's go ahead and open the record and begin today's docket, September 28th, 2023. Well, Barry Morphew's defense lawyer, Iris Iten, has issued a statement on behalf of the family on a Wednesday evening after news broke that the remains found in the remote desert area about 50 miles south of the former Morphew home there in Salida, Colorado, were in fact the remains of Suzanne Morphew. Now, Miss I-10 insisted that Barry, who was arrested on suspicion of his wife's murder, only for charges that were later dropped later in 2021, is as innocent as he was from day one. She stated, quote, Barry is with his daughters and they are all struggling with the immense shock and grief after learning today that their mother and wife, with whom they deeply love, was found deceased. They had faith that their mom and wife would walk back into their lives again. The news is heartbreaking, Ms. Itan wrote. Neither the district attorney nor the authorities notified Mallory and Macy Morphew about the recovery of their mother's remains. 
Now, Suzanne Morphew, she was 49, mother of two. She vanished on May 10th of 2022 after going on a bike ride on Mother's Day. Her bike was found the day she went missing. The bike was discarded in a ravine near her mountain home in Salida, which is roughly about 140 miles from the Denver area, if you're not familiar with that. It is in the mountains, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pretty good drive from Denver to Salida. It takes you about mm, four to five hours. Anyway, investigators revealed that they found her scattered remains about 50 miles from her bike in Moffat, as well as Saguch. Saguchi. I don't know how to pronounce this, and I've lived here all my life, but it's spelled S-A-G-U-A-C-H-E. Obviously, it's like most counties here, it's named after a former uh, Native American tribe. Anyway, well, the police were out probing on a different case where they found Suzanne's remains. She'd been buried in a shallow grave, and the coroner uh, was called to the site, and other bones apparently had disappeared uh, over the years, more than likely removed by animals. So no arrests have been made since the remains of Suzanne Morphew were located on September 22nd of this year. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation confirmed yesterday and that her, in fact, they established it was Suzanne's identity on September 27th. Now, as you may recall, in May of 2021, one year after Suzanne Morphew disappeared, her husband, Barry Morphew, was arrested and charged with her murder, despite the police not having found her body. Last year, prosecutors were basically forced to drop all charges against Mr. Morphew after the judge sanctioned the district attorney's office for discovery violations. That means not turning over everything that they were supposed to turn over. Like I said, the case was ultimately dismissed. They dismissed it without prejudice, which is really a civil term because as long as jeopardy has not attached and the statute of limitations has not run, and there isn't one for first-degree murder, then guess what? You don't have to dismiss with prejudice. Either way, now, despite objections from the defense, which means, like I said, it could be uh, refiled, that's the judge uh, allowed that to take place in case new evidence came to light. So now the issue remains. What, with the remains that have been found, will help the coroner determine the cause and manner of death? Now, more than likely, it's going to be, you know, she didn't accidentally um, find herself there and bury her remains there. So it's obviously a homicide. The question is, how did she die? And the question then is, is there going to be some physical evidence that is going to help police find out the killer of Suzanne Morphew? And then are they going to be able to determine the time of death? Where was Mr. Morphew at the time? Where was the boyfriend at the time? You just never know at this point, ladies and gentlemen. Now, of course, you also have to remember, Ms. Itan has sued a lot of the prosecutors as well as the agents in this particular case, uh, basically saying that they violated Mr. Morphew's constitutional rights. I guess we'll have to see how this shakes things up in the civil case as well. We'll be watching. All right, yesterday we brought you the tech guru uh, story where the um, 26-year-old 30 under 30 uh, woman was killed. Well, we've got an update for it. So the suspect in killing the 26-year-old tech entrepreneur, Pava LaPere, was arrested late Wednesday night at a train station in Maryland. Now, the deputy United States marshal, a guy by the name of Albert Marseca, 
and the Baltimore City Police announced the arrest about 12.30 a.m. early Thursday morning. Now, La Pere was found deceased, reportedly on the roof of her Baltimore apartment building on Monday. Jason's Billingsley, a 32-year-old ex-con released from prison nearly a year ago, was the named suspect. Now, Mr. Billingsley served 14 years for raping and strangling a woman at knife point about a decade ago. Already seems like just a real nice guy, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. He seems like a bad, bad man. Anyway, the arrest came just hours after Baltimore police, a $6,000 reward leading to Mr. Billingsley arrest. And they said that Mr. Billingsley was also wanted in an attempted murder, arson, and sexual assault that took place back on September 19th of 2023. Now, La Pere launched EcoMap Technologies while she was still a student at John Hopkins University and was named on the Forbes 30 under 30 list just this year. Well, Jason Billingsley, he's on another list called Parole. Anyway, well, he was apprehended on, like I said, Wednesday night at this train station about 30 miles from where La Pere uh, was found bludgeoned to death on her roof. Now, law enforcement tracked Mr. Billingsley to the train station um, on Laurel Bowie Road in Bowie, Prince George County at about 11.10 p.m. and was taken into custody without incident. Now, as we've previously alluded to, the detectives are probing the links between Pava's slain and an unsolved arson attack and sexual assault on a young couple that took place one week earlier in the nearby um, city of Baltimore. Now, the suspect in the earlier incident is believed to have posed as a maintenance man to talk his way inside the couple's townhome on September 19th before tying them both up in a basement bedroom. He then allegedly raped the young woman at night point and her partner looked on. Powerless to intervene, then doused the room with gas and fled, according to accounts from both the police source and the neighbors. He faces charges of first-degree murder, assault, and reckless endangerment in killing the young entrepreneur Pava, a, obviously a raising star in the tech industry. We'll see how that goes. I'm sure this we're going to hear a lot about Mr. Billingsley in the future because it sounds like he was a bad, bad man. What do I say, ladies and gentlemen? Past performance is indicative of future results. Sometimes people change. I, we like people to change, but sometimes people just are not going to change. Next on the docket, Sam Bankman-Fried, a federal judge said Sam Bankman-Fried's request to ditch his prison uniform for business clothing and to use a laptop at his trial the beginning Tuesday, casting light on what is going to be a highly anticipated white collar criminal proceeding. Now, as you may recall, Sam Bankman-Fried, um, often noted for his casual style, which usually included cargo shorts and baggy t-shirts um, at, at business meetings, uh, began dressing far more formally uh, once his indictment came through, typically appearing in court uh, in a white dress shirt, uh, blue suit, and loafers, uh, although sometimes keeping his shirt untucked. Bad choice, bad fashion choice. Anyway, any personal styles were um, stifled last month when uh, Bankman Freed uh, tried to fit in, traded in his blue suit for an orange one when the judge ordered him back to prison for violating the conditions of his bond. That ruling was specifically tied to Mr. Freed's feeding information about his former colleague and romantic partner, Caroline Ellison, to the New York Times, but came after prosecutors raised several laptop-related concerns, including Mr. Bankman Freed's use of virtual 
private network to watch NFL football games. Now, Mr. Bankman-Fried will be tried on seven counts beginning next week, two wire fraud charges and five related conspiracy charges to the alleged misappropriation of FTX customer funds to cover losses at its sister hedge fund, Almeida Research. Now, the 31-year-old, once worth about $26 billion, was arrested in the Bahamas in December, a month after his companies went belly up and after posting bail, $250 million personal recognizance bond. Unbelievable. Anyway, he was, Mr. Bankman-Fried was extradited to the U.S., and he was able to stay at his parents' home next to the adjacent Stanford University campus. So will it actually go, or will the defense file for a motion to continue? That is not a lot of time to prepare for a case of this magnitude, but let's face it, Mr. Bankman-Fried, he doesn't like being in custody. His ego will more than likely force him to say, I want to go to trial. And frankly, the prosecution may not be ready yet either, but we're going to have to wait and see. Like the whole dress out thing, like I said, I don't think I've ever had a client in 28 years dress out in formal attire, i.e. dress attire, not be in prison garb if they're in custody, unless they're going to trial. At trial, everybody dresses out. And then we go and engage in this legal fiction that, oh, the client is not in custody. Let's send the jury out so they don't see him to know that he's in custody. They're all going to know that he's in custody. But somehow we think if we don't tell them, they won't know because that would be prejudicial to him. We'll see if the trial starts. I anticipate a last minute motion to continue. We'll see what happens next. Next on the docket, a mom wants her son arrested and the police just won't do it. So this woman, Tiffany Hammonds, a mother of somewhat out of a control teenager who's been repeatedly stealing cars over the last month, is speaking out and asking for help. She says that she's been begging and pleading for the police to arrest and lock up her son and to do something that makes him pay for the things that he's out there on the streets doing. Now, Ms. Hammond said her 17-year-old son has been caught stealing and crashing multiple cars by the police. He's also driving without a license. She said she feels that enough is enough and everything needs to stop. She says she's done everything that she can and she's turning and they're turning him against me. He's going the opposite way and doing what he wants to do, which is turning to the streets. Now, Ms. Hammond said when her son uh, has been caught by police for stealing or crashing a stolen vehicle, they drive him home. She says, quote, I think him seeing that nothing is being done is giving him more of an adrenaline rush to go back out and do it again, Ms. Hammond says. And Ms. Hammond also fears that the threat of her son poses not only to himself, but to others. She says that since he's left, she knows that he's crashed at least five cars and she has reported to everyone that she knows and still he's out there on the streets. Now, isn't that ironic, ladies and gentlemen? We know, we always oftentimes don't arrest criminals because we don't know who did it. It's gonna be too hard to find. We'll just have to wait. We'll take the police report. We don't have the resources. Yes, this person is a juvenile. But his mom is saying, I cannot control him. That's where the police and social services comes in to hopefully correct this young man's future. Nobody wants to see this kid in prison, but that's where he's headed for. And it's rather disappointing that somebody won't help this woman. Next on the docket, is forensic evidence reliable? Well, let me tell you the case. Ladora Watkins was 19 years old when he was accused of murdering a public school teacher. At trial, a forensic expert testified that a single hair found at the scene was similar 
to that of Mr. Watkins and stated his conclusion was based upon reasonable scientific certainty. He explained that he'd conducted thousands of hair analysis and nothing had ever gone wrong. This one hair was the only physical evidence tying Mr. Watkins to the crime scene. In 1976, Ladura Watkins was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. One little problem, though. The expert's testimony was inappropriate and misleading, and the jury made a mistake. Watkins was innocent. Ladura lost over 41 years of his life in prison for a wrongful conviction based upon improper forensic testimony. An interdisciplinary team of legal um, psychologists and forensic experts and attorneys have worked to develop an educational tool to help jurors avoid making similar mistakes in the future. One out of every five wrongful convictions cataloged through September 2023 by the National Registry of Exoneration involved improper forensic evidence. There is reason to be concerned about a juror's ability to adequately evaluate forensic evidence. Jurors tend to rely heavily on forensic evidence when making decisions in a case, despite struggling to understand the statistical analyses and the language used to explain forensic science. They might ignore the differences between appropriately worded forensic testimony and testimony that violates the best practice guidelines and fails to grasp the limitations of forensic science in expert witness testimony and overly rely on the expert's experience when evaluating the evidence. Researchers have long suggested that part of the problem is the way forensic evidence is presented in courtrooms. In response to calls by scientists, the United States Department of Justice approved the Uniform Language for Testimony and Reports in 2018. These guidelines aim to lessen misleading statements in forensic testimony and outline five statements forensic experts should not make. The expert in Ladura Watson's case made several of these statements, including claiming that his examination was perfect because of the number of examinations that he had previously conducted. It's understandable that jurors are swayed by an expert who used terms like air-free, perfect, or scientific certainty. But ladies and gentlemen, it is testimony that needs to be viewed just like any other testimony. Junk science and false identifications, the two greatest reasons why people are falsely convicted of crimes that they did not commit. The bottom line, if you're selected as a juror, don't take every word an expert says is true. You would be surprised how many experts will literally say what they want to hear. <laughs> there's, there's an expert that used to work in a police department. He was an expert on everything. You name it. Crime scene reconstruction, uh, speeding. He was an expert on it all. And then the funny thing was ironic is I hated him because he would say anything. And then I needed him once and had to hire him, but we didn't call him because even I, we couldn't, we just couldn't use it. It was just bad. Take it with a grain of salt. On either side, whoever's cross-examining them, remember, they're an expert. They've been qualified. An expert in the court system is not some brilliant, all-knowing person. It's just a person that has some training or knowledge that is beyond basically the everyday person. Your auto mechanic could be called as an expert to testify as it relates to cars, the engine, how to be repaired, the transmission. 
That is expert testimony. And yes, they probably know what they do, but they may also not get it right. So just remember, when you hear of expert testimony, be careful. And particularly when it comes to the soft sciences, be even more careful, ladies and gentlemen. And I think I told you once, we had this case a while back. Our expert kept saying there were errors in the lab. The prosecution kept saying, there's no errors in the lab. How dare you question our integrity? How dare you question our credentials? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? And then like six years later, we get a letter saying, oops, it looks like everything you said in that case was true. There were errors and mistakes made in the lab. But they don't recognize them as quickly as the people that are actually challenging their information. So be careful, ladies and gentlemen. They're not perfect. And somehow everybody, a lot of people think that if they come from the government side, they're perfect. And if they come from the defense side, they're just a paid outlaw to say whatever is the case. You'd be surprised how it's actually kind of reversed. So something to think about. And next on the docket, our dumb criminal of the day. More food violence, ladies and gentlemen. When will it end? A woman is facing a domestic battery charge after allegedly striking her daughter with, guess what? A frozen chicken. Now, the victim stated that the uh, woman threw a frozen chicken at her and then struck her on the right leg. This is all according to the arrest affidavit. The woman's sister told police that she had observed the defendant tossing the bird and striking the victim with the frozen chicken. Now, the affidavit doesn't disclose exactly what prompted the alleged chicken attack, which resulted in the uh, charge of a misdemeanor to our dumb criminal. She was able to post a $150 cash bond after spending about 20 hours in the county jail. The woman has pled not guilty and has been ordered to have no contact with her daughter. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. More food violence. Maybe the kid deserved the chicken being thrown at him. Maybe, maybe the kid was talking back to the mom. We don't know. But never resort to violence, ladies and gentlemen. Never, ever hit a kid. Never, ever hit a woman. Never hit a woman. Never spank my kid. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk. Crime Talk.